Well, turning your Bibles to Esther chapter 10, we're finishing our study of this great book. This book, of course, Esther stands out with a great truth. And when you think about it, as we started the book of Esther, we started this way. We said, you know, there are two books in the Bible that are named for women. There's the book of Ruth, and we studied that, and we saw that about redemption. And it was the story of a Gentile who married a Jew, and it was an amazing story. And that lineage is in the, the lineage of Jesus Christ, and we saw redemption and all of that. Now, we've seen the book of Esther, the story of a Jew who marries the Gentile, the Jewish girl who marries the Gentile king and we see how God protects his people. And as we look at this book, we see courage and wisdom of Esther and, and Mordecai, her adopted father, even though he's a cousin, he's older and he adopted her as his father. And there's a lot in this book. And let me, let me remind you of some things we're going to look at as we close it out this morning. We're going to see, first of all, God's sovereignty and providence. He works all things. In every event of our life, he is there working. Second, we see the character of both Esther and Mordecai. Esther willing to stand and, and take her life in her hand. Mordecai willing to, to stand and, and do the same thing. <clears throat> but we also see evil. We see the evil of Haman. And we see fallen mankind. <clears throat> and we see what man is like. And there are evil people in this world, as we know, as we see every day. We see the principle of sowing and reaping. What you put in, you get out. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We see that. We saw it in the book. We see it in our lives. And then we have, as we think about it, we saw it especially last week, we, saw that we have the opportunity to remember what God has done for us because that's what this book is for. It's a book to remind the Jewish people what God has done for them. We think about what God has done for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so much as we go through. Now, I want you to do something which a little bit unusual. Hold your place in Esther, and I want you to turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Let's take just a second to get there. <clears throat> If you're in my Sunday school class, let me just say this. If you not normally get to come to Sunday school, we just started a brand new study. It's called The Names and Titles of God. And what you may not realize is the name of God is all throughout the Bible. And when I say name, names of God, and, and it always talks about His name and His holy name. And some of the songs we sang talked about His holy name. You're going to even look at the first verse of Psalm 103 and talks about His holy name. And so if you did not normally get a chance to come to Sunday school, this study we just started it, and we're going to be looking at Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to look at the birth of Christ. We're going to look at prophecies. We're going to look at the future. We're going to look at everything on how the names of God tie in because the names of God tell us who His character is and what He's like. But I want you to see Psalm 103. It's the Psalm of David. And it, David is saying, let's not forget what God has done for us. Look at Psalm 103. Look at verse 1. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And if you're in my class this morning in Sunday school, you look at that name Lord, L-O-R-D, and it's all capital letters. That means a particular name of God. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and is all that is in me. Bless his what? His holy name. And then look what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's not forget. Forget none of his benefits. What does he do? Who pardons all our iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle? David, writing to the nation of Israel, this is one of their songs. And he says, bless the Lord. Let's don't forget what he's done. He's pardoned our sins. He's healed us. 
He's lifted our lives up. He's crowned us with loving kindness. He's satisfied us. As we think about this psalm, uh, we don't want to forget what God has done for us. Think about this. Don't forget what God has done for us past, present, and future. Think about what he's done in the past. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God so loved us, sent his son to die for us, pay for our sins, rise again, and give us a gift, the gift of eternal life by faith in Jesus present time. What does he do for us? He helps us grow. He provides. He protects. He uses us. He's there every day. He will never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? We think of the future. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. He's going to come get us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He's going to come get us so we can be with him forever. Let's not forget what he has done for us. If you would go ahead and turn back to Esther chapter 10. Esther chapter 10. We're reminded from this book and from the scripture of what God has done for us, what God has done for his people Israel. The book of Esther was written to bring to memory to the Jewish people so they would not forget how God protected them, provided for them at the time of Esther and Mordecai. And may we never forget what God has done for us. This morning, we're going to look, do really three things. And, and it won't take very long, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the end of the book, okay? Chapter 10. There's only three verses. I think we should get through that, okay? There's not that much there, and I want to show you some things. But then, a brief review of the book, and if you, in your bulletin, there are a place to write four principles and truths from the book of Esther. Just four things I want you to think about when we look at the book of Esther, and it's just truths that we see. And then the third thing is we will go back again and remember what God has done for us. Last week, we remember what God has done for us by observing the Lord's Supper. We remembered how Jesus Christ died for us and paid for sin and rose again, His body and His blood. We saw that. We're going to think about some different things this morning. Well, let's begin. As we close our study, remember where we are. The decrees had gone out. There were two decrees. On the 13th day of the 12th, Twelfth month, decrees went out, two different decrees sent out by the king. And they were amazing because the first decree basically said that, and it was put out by the evil man named Haman who hated the Jews and wanted to kill every Jew. In fact, he had had it set up on the 13th day of the 12th month that every Jew throughout the 127 provinces of the Medo-Persian Empire, which was basically the world, they would all be put to death. That was his plan. And the enemies of the Jews would attack and kill them and plunder them and all of that to eliminate Jewish people. Now, there's some people who say, I don't even like Jewish people. You better like them. Your Savior's Jewish. Let me tell you, I love Jewish people. They're God's chosen people, not for salvation, but for service. And if, if God had allowed His people to be eliminated, there would be no Savior. The promise is through the Jewish people of the Savior. There was a second decree that was written. It was written by Mordecai and Esther, and it was basically signed with the king's authority. And on that same day, 13th day of the 12th month, the Jewish people could assemble and defend themselves from the enemies who would come after them. And we saw that several weeks ago. The Jews, with the help of other leaders and people, banded together and defeated evil people that came after them. And bunches came after them. We found that they killed 800 men in the city of Susa, which is the capital. They killed 75,000 others throughout the 127 provinces of the Medo-Persian Empire. With this great victory came celebration. And the celebration came a time to remember what God has done. 
And so with this writing from the book of Esther, Mordecai and Esther put together a plan that every year the Jewish people <clears throat> would celebrate, celebrate and remember what God had done for them. And it's called the Feast of Purim. And we showed pictures last week of, of how the Jewish people celebrate Purim. They, the children uh, put on clothes, uh, outfits and wet dress up. And, and it's just an amazing thing. And they, on the 13th day, they have this a fasting day. And then on the 14th or 15th, they give presents out to people. And they eat food and they dress up. And that's coming on March the 4th and the 5th, about a month from now. The Jewish people will celebrate that throughout the world because of this book. Because of what was passed down. So as we look, let's think about the final chapter in the book of Esther. And we finish this book, we see the greatness of Mordecai. Look at verse 1. Now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastland, coastlands of the sea. Now what he did is he taxed the people. Now it's a little bit different because if you realize through history that when this king, when, he, when the first part of the book, he didn't tax people, he just took stuff. Now toward the end, he is taxing. It says, he's laid tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the people. And then he begins to review his greatness and Mordecai's greatness. It says, and all the accomplishments of his authority, talking about the king, and his strength, and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of the media and Persia? And they were. They were written in their records, also written in this book, which we call the Bible. And the accomplishments of Mordecai. When you first saw Mordecai in the book, we kind of thought, we kind of got a little mad at Mordecai. Because Mordecai uh, had been taking care of Esther and done everything right, and then he refuses to bow down to Haman, and so Haman gets all mad and decides to kill every Jew. And we'd say, well, Mordecai, if you'd have just bowed down to Haman, we wouldn't have had all this trouble. But we see that Mordecai was standing for what he thought was right. And Mordecai stood for his people. And when we think about it, it says how great he was, uh, the greatness that he had been advanced. Mordecai was a man who was not only raised up to power, but he used his power for good. Now I want you to think about that. There are people in the world today, and there have always been people who are raised up to places of power, whether they're kings or soldiers or ward, people get power in the world. There are people in powerful places in the world today. And when people get in places of power, they can use their power either for good are for evil. And you've seen it all throughout the world. Adolf Hitler was raised to power in Germany. 1933, 32, 34, all the way 36, 39, all the way until he killed himself. He used his power for evil. Stalin, Lenin, evil. There have been great people who have been raised to power and used their power for good. We see Mordecai was raised to power, and he did good with it. And today, you can look at leaders in this world, and there are some who have great power, and they use their power for good. And there are some who have great power, and they use it for evil. I want you to notice it goes on to say that Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen. Now watch this statement. One who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. Mordecai said, my life is for my people. Why are we here? Why are you here? We know that the theme of the book of Esther is the sovereignty of God and 
that we are raised up for such a time as this. Why does God have you alive on this earth at this time? Some of you are saying, I'm getting toward the end of my time. Some of you are saying, I'm just the beginning of my time. Why does God have you here now? I can tell you that one of the things is to do good. To live for Jesus Christ. To touch lives for the living God. To proclaim the message of salvation. The clear grace message of salvation in this community and the world. To take the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have. That God has given to you. And to use them for His glory. That's why you're here. We're not here to get possessions. Nothing wrong with possessions. But that's not why you're here. You are here to live for God and to touch lives for Him. So as Mordecai was what? He was a man for the good of his people. We want to be known as people who are good for others, that we use our lives to touch lives for Jesus Christ. As we think about this book, we can see all the way through about uh, God working in it and how he used, and I think this is the key here, how he, uh, how he used Esther and Mordecai to save his people. I want you to think about something. Mordecai was a man who stood for the truth and he went to Esther and he said, listen Esther, you've got to go in to see the king because all of the Jews are going to be killed unless something happens. You need to go in to see the king. She says, I don't know if I can go in to see the king because you don't just go in to see the king. If you go in to see the king and he doesn't put his scepter down, you're dead. So I don't know. He hadn't called for me in a month. I don't know if I should go. Mordecai said, regardless, I believe that if you don't go, God will raise up help from somewhere. Mordecai knew that the promise made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that God would always protect his people. Mordecai knew one way or the other, whether it was Esther or whether it was somebody else, he was going to protect them. And he looked at Esther and said, I think you've been raised up for such a time as this. And Esther risked her life. She went right in to see the king, just showed up. And if he wanted to, if he didn't put the scepter down, they killed her. And he put the scepter down, and she told him, and she said, let's have a banquet. And through, just long story short, through the banquet, she told him about Haman. And Haman was put to death, and the decrees were written, and the Jews were saved. You realize that you raised up for such a time as this. I don't know what God has for you. I don't know exactly what he has for me. I know some of the things that he's used me for, and I hope he keeps on using me. I know some things I want to do for him. I want my whole life to count for him. I hope you feel the same way. I hope you say, Lord, I don't know what you got for me, but I'm so excited about it here. Here's a blank page. I put my name at the bottom. You just use me. See, some people want to say, just tell me what you got for me to do, and I'll sign at the bottom if that's what I think I want to do. What you need to do is sign at the bottom and say, you fill it in. Because his way is so much better than ours. Each of us have gifts and talents and abilities to used to be used by God to further his plan. What is his plan? Make disciples for us to lead people to Jesus Christ. They can understand and trust in Christ as Savior, and then we help them grow. That's the whole plan. May we realize that we are here for such a time as this. Let's get a brief review for a second, just a brief review of the book of Esther, and it's the providence of God all the way through. God is working in every event. Sovereign God's in complete control. The providence of God means he's working in all the events. Let me remind you of a few things. Listen to this. Vashti was the queen, and she got banished. 
But out of all of the young girls in the entire kingdom of 127 provinces, Esther is chosen to be the queen. The plot against the king is found out by Mordecai. He saves the king's life and never even rewarded. And we say, that doesn't seem fair. God says, I got my timing. Just don't worry about it. Mordecai refuses to to bow down to Haman, so Haman decides to kill every Jew. Haman comes in to see the king to put Mordecai to death. When he comes in to see the king, the king wants to honor Mordecai. Esther goes in to see the king and says, let's have a banquet. And when instead of asking and telling the king about Haman, she says, let's have a banquet tomorrow. We all said, why would she wait? Why? Because the king couldn't sleep that night and he read about what Mordecai did for him and now Mordecai is on his side. The gallows that Haman made to kill Mordecai were used to kill Haman. The money that Haman had was given to Mordecai. The feast and the banquets that Haman went to, he thought were honoring him, resulted in his dishonor. And the decree to destroy the Jews led to a decree to save the Jews. All of that's in the book, and it all works. Now I want to remind you something that we said over and over. That in this book, God is never mentioned. It's so strange. Because we're doing Sunday school class on the names of God, and every time you turn around, you see God in His name, and God in His name, and God in something, something. In this book, He's never mentioned at all. We say, how can that be possible? I mean, Esther says, fast fast for three days. But she doesn't say fast and pray, and she doesn't say pray to God. Never even mentioned. But in every event, there is no doubt that God is working all things. He, he rules. He rules the king. He turns the king's heart. He rules Mordecai and turns Mordecai. He gives Queen Esther the, the courage. We see evil out of Haman resulting back sowing and reaping. God's working in all things. Let me tell you something. He's working in your life right now. You, don't, you may not even know it. You may say, oh, well, I pray to God and he doesn't even hear me. Uh, he doesn't even know I exist. He created you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. And he's right with you every step of the way. He'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? Now, I want, to, I want you to see four key principles from the book. Okay? The first one is this. There is a satanic purpose to destroy the Jews. I just want you to understand that. There is a satanic purpose that you three see throughout the Bible and throughout the world to destroy the Jewish people. As you look throughout history, there's always a plan and a purpose to eliminate God's people. There's a reason for that, because from God's people comes the Messiah. God's people were set apart. When you talk about Jewish people, and, and, and we support, our church supports uh, Jewish stuff, and we, we love Jewish people, and uh, we pray for Jewish people, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, Jewish people were set apart, not, not for salvation. Listen, a Jewish person is saved exactly the way you are, by faith alone in the Messiah and Jesus Christ. But Jewish people are God's people, and he has them for a purpose. And they've always been hated. Just in the same way we're hated. Because when we connect with Jesus. Jesus said if I hated you they'll hate me. Jewish people are hated. I want you to think back over history. What was the plan in Egypt. When the Jewish people were slaves. It was to destroy them. It was to kill every boy baby. So they could not populate. Eventually they couldn't populate with guys. And eventually they'd all intermarry. And there'd be no Jewish people. The plan was to destroy Jewish people. You get to the Persian Empire. What was the plan? To destroy every Jewish person in the world. You get to Rome. 
What did Rome do? Rome came in and killed many, many, many thousands of Jewish people. They came into Jerusalem, leveled the city, destroyed the temple, even renamed everything, and tried to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth. Never happened. 1930, 1932, 1933, there was that movement in Germany that spread to Poland, spread through Europe, in which one man decided that anyone that wasn't like him or that he thought should be a certain people group, he would eliminate. And he eliminated six million Jewish people. Last week, they celebrated the 70th anniversary of the Holocaust, of going into Birkenau and those places. As you look throughout history, fallen world wants to destroy. What's going on today? Islamic terrorists. Who do they want to destroy? Big Satan and little Satan. Who's big Satan? That's us. Who's little Satan? Israel. There are charters of organizations, Hamas and others, that their charter says, we seek the annihilation and destruction of the nation of Israel. Still today. Still today. Second, there is a divine purpose for the Jews. God has a divine purpose for his people. He told Abraham, I'll make a great nation from you. He told the same thing to Isaac. He told the same thing to Jacob. He told the same thing to the descendants Joseph and Judah. God has a purpose for his people. And here's what the reason is. Two things. Number one, to give us a Messiah. Through this nation of people, through Abraham, God made a promise in Genesis chapter 12, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The only way that the nations of the world could be blessed through Abraham is there's a descendant of Abraham who is coming. He's called the son of Abraham or the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, the son of Judah, the son of David, and he is called Jesus Christ, the Messiah and the Savior. He came through the Jewish people. God's plan to use his people to bring the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. There's a second thing. He used the Jewish people to give us the word of God. Now we look at our Bible and we go, yeah, this this is a great Bible. Who wrote this Bible? The entire Old Testament was written in Hebrew by Jewish people. The entire New Testament was written in Greek by Jewish people. There's possibility, just a possibility, that Luke may not have been Jewish. Some people say maybe Luke wasn't Jewish, and so maybe Luke and Acts may not have been written by a Jewish person. But there's still a lot of doubt whether he, 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 most people believe that he was Jewish. So every book in this book, every book of the Bible has Jewishness. It's all Jewish. It's a Jewish book. This is how we got our book. Our Bible. Tied in with that is blessing and cursing. He said to Abraham, I'll what? I'll bless those that bless you. I will what? Curse those that curse you. Do you believe that? What happened to Hitler? What happened to the Persian Empire? Trust God. You think it's over now? Guess what God's going to do with his people? 
When God comes to get us, Jesus comes and we're taken out of here, and the church is gone from the face of the earth, there's going to be a time period on the earth called the tribulation. We studied in time events. And in the tribulation, God raises up at the very beginning of the tribulation, this is Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish people who believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah, and they are used by God to spread the message throughout the world. There is a divine purpose for God's people. Third principle, God works in the affairs and the events of the world to bring about his plan. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1, 11. The book of Esther just shows us how God is in control and behind every event and working everything. I mean, think about it. Mordecai saves the king life. He's not rewarded. The king gets ready to go to sleep. He can't sleep. He just so happens they read the Chronicles right where the story is of Mordecai. God is working in every event. So when we look at the world and we say, it's out of control, it's not out of control. God is in control. God is working all things. Fourth, God works in individual lives to accomplish his will. We see how he worked in Mordecai's life and Esther's and Ahasuerus and Haman and everybody else. And as you look at your life, you realize that God has you here for a purpose. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities. And there is no such thing as fate or chance in your life. You were created by God in your mother's womb. He knows you. He put you here at this time and in this place for such a time as this. And there is a principle of sowing and reaping. And what you put in, you're going to get out. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you reap life. That's what he says. Now as we finish, the last thing is just this. Let's remember remembering what God has done for us. And let's start real with the basic one, and that is our salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his son... When you think of John 3.16, you think of probably the most famous verse in the Bible is God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son. He gave his son to what? Jesus to come to the earth, to die on the cross, to pay for sin and rise again. I want you to realize that that is the message that we're to proclaim. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose to conquer death. And the Bible tells us that whoever believes in him has eternal life. Galatians 4, 4 says, In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman. At exactly the right time, God carried out his plan. And that we want to never forget what God has done for us. Listen, I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you know Jesus Christ is Savior, that you've put your faith in Christ for eternal life. Now, I want to be very clear about this. Some of you have grown up in church all your life, and you've heard all kind of messages, but the bottom line is this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to the earth to die in our place to take our sins upon himself. He paid that penalty. He was dead for three days, three nights, rose again, walked on the earth 40 days, ascended to heaven. He has conquered death. He has given life. He offers a gift. The gift is eternal life. You believe in Jesus Christ, not to say, I just believe there is a Jesus. You believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He died for you to give you eternal life. 
So when we talk about trusting in Christ, we're not saying, I trust that there was a Jesus, or I trust that he was a good man, or I trust that he's just great. No, we're trusting in him for eternal life. I hope every one of you in this room, you have trusted Jesus Christ to give you eternal life. And the moment you believe in him, that exact moment, he gives you eternal life. I hope and pray every one of you in this room, if somebody said to you, you think you got eternal life, you're going to heaven? You say, I got eternal life, I trusted in Jesus. We never want to forget what he has done. There's a second thing, and that's our Christian life. What has he done for us? He provides, he protects, he empowers. He is there. He will never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He has not only saved us, but he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works. He said, I've created you, saved you, so you can serve me. And we think about how he provides for us. My God shall supply all your needs, Philippians 4.19. He protects us. I'll never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13. He empowers us. Walk in the Spirit. Well, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. He empowers us to serve him and live live for him. So he takes care of us every day. We don't want to forget what he has done. We do not want to forget what he is doing. And then there's one more thing. We don't want to forget the future. Called the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. One of these days, and it could be any second. There's nothing to be fulfilled that Jesus would come in the clouds. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain to be caught up together with them. There'll be a shout of the archangel, the trumpet, and the voice of God, and we will be gone. And we're looking forward to that moment. It's called the blessed hope. We can hardly wait for Jesus to come back and get us. And that's what he's going to do in the future. And by the way, he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for us, but he's preparing a place for us. When he gets it ready, he's going to come get us. And where he says, wherever he is, we will be. Let's not forget what he's going to do for us. And we will rule with him on this, on this earth for a thousand years, and then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and we'll be with him forever. We do not want to take for granted what he's done. May we trust Him. May we stand for Him. May we glorify God in our lives. And as we think about an application, may we realize that God has raised us up for such a time as this. You are valuable. He created you, He gifted you, you're special. And unique, there'll never be another person like you, never. Out of all the billions and billions of people that he has created, every one of us is unique. So when you look at yourself, you say, God made me just the way I am. Nobody will ever be like me. Your life is valuable. But since you've been raised up for such a time as this, your life is to be effective. You're to live for the glory of God. You're to make disciples. You're to proclaim Christ. You're to train others. You're to live for the glory of God. You're to bring glory to Jesus. So for this time and this place, with your gifts and talents and abilities, we've been raised up for such a time as this.